I had, uh, I had just stepped foot into the noisy elementary cafeteria when I could immediately tell <laughs> that something was wrong. It had become, it was just part of my Friday routine, pe- picking up my kindergarten son. And at the time, kindergartners, they only went to school half day, so his school day ended in the lunchroom. And in the sea of those kids, I always knew right where to, work, where to look. Same table, about the same spot. My son would normally uh, sit facing the door so he could easily spot me when I walked in. But on this day, he sat with his head down, shoulders slumped. And so I quickly made my way over to him. I called his name, and when he looked up at me, I could tell that he had been fighting back tears. And so I asked him what was wrong, and he didn't want to say. And so I went over to him, and I I scooted the kid next to him over, and I sat right down beside him, and I asked him again, what happened? And then he whispered, as though he was frightened, anyone else may hear, he pointed to the kid now next to me. And quietly said, he spit in my food. Now, when someone has done something like that to your very little, very shy kid, you tend to forget what kind of profession you're in. (laughs) So, (laughs) listen, at the moment, I was not a pastor. I was just a very upset father. And so I turned myself around to the kid that I had had my back to, and I put my face right up in his, and I began speaking to him in a very deep and intimidating voice because I wanted that little kindergartner to know (laughs) that he had messed with the wrong kid because I was his father. You know, if you ever really want to make an enemy of a parent, just mess with their kids, right? That'll do it. If, on the other hand, you ever really want to turn a parent into a really big fan, all you've got to do is go way out of your way to do something really for their kids. And then (laughs) you're their favorite. They'll bend over backwards, they'll bake you cookies. Because the quickest way to bless a parent is to bless their kids. And God tells us that really the same is true in his spiritual family. That the best way to bless the father is to bless his kids. John speaks quite a bit about this in his letter of 1 John He says that if we have decided to follow Jesus with our lives, well, then we have become part of this amazing spiritual family. And in this family, God desires us to grow in our relationship with him and then also one another. And so listen to how strongly John is going to put this in 1 John chapter 3. It's in verse 14. He says, if we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves 
that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love, again, for believers, well, that person still dead. Now, that may sound a bit extreme. In our time, and I would say even in our Western society, we tend to think with such an individualistic mindset that we don't often think of one another as having much effect on our spirituality. We tend to feel that our spiritual journey is no one's business but our own. But the early Christians of the New Testament could have never imagined following God in such a way. See, their picture of a Christian was a believer who was really committed to genuine and loving Christian community with these so-called brothers and sisters of the spiritual family. Love the Father, love one another became their community slogan. And that slogan was likely a result of the one, really the only new commandment that Jesus had ever given his disciples. It's found in John chapter 13, verse 34. It'll be up on screen for you. Jesus says, all right, listen up, boys. Says, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And it was by this command that the early Christians developed a filter in which they would view their whole Christian lives through. The question was, how can we best love one another as a spiritual family? That's why the authors of the New Testament wrote so many one another instructions into their letters. In the New Testament, there's about 60 of what are called one another statements that instruct us to do something towards another believer. So we're, we're told to serve one another, submit to one another, encourage one another, pray for one another. The list obviously goes on. And what the early Christians quickly discovered was that the most essential component to loving one another was being in genuine community with each other. It's why we get such descriptions of the early church as we do back in Acts chapter 2 and chapter 4, where it says that the family of believers, they were constantly meeting together. They took care of one another's needs. They shared meals together. They prayed together. And they grew spiritually together. So much so that you get to Acts chapter 4, verse 32, and it tells us that they were united in heart and mind. You see, it's, it's how they strived to do church. Love the Father, love one another. It was a package deal. 
This is why you may have heard us say from stage, probably before, that coming to a Sunday morning service such as this is what we would call probably coming to church, but it isn't what we would say is really doing church. Because for us here at Journey, the majority of church happens throughout the week in smaller circles of people that gather together where there is greater opportunity to be involved in one another's lives. That's why we will so heavily promote getting signed up for a small group. Church is almost always done better in circles rather than rows. See, in rows, we always tend to consume things. Whether that be in entertainment or for us here, of course, that means listening to a, a message, taking in some worship, and all of those things are really good and very beneficial for us. But rows don't normally lend themselves to a whole lot of participation. And listen, it will always be through our participation in the Christian life that we will find ourselves growing the most in our relationship with God and then also one another. And so if you have not done so already, we would so encourage you to get signed up for a group to get yourself out of the rows and into a circle. Because a group is going to be a place where you will get to know and care for one another and a chance, and this is so important, a chance to really begin processing your faith. And that's huge. It's a place where you will talk about scripture, you will read through it together, and you will actually discuss Okay, so how is it that that practically plays out in our lives? How is it that that is going to work out? And listen, if you're here this morning and that concerns you, it should. <laughs> Becoming a group really is a risk. We will never stand up here and tell you how easy it is and comfortable it is to get in a group. We will always be upfront and honest and say that it is a big risk you're taking. Because who knows who's going to be in there? You may show up and they're all weird. Even worse, you may show up and they all seem really normal. And so you realize, uh-oh, they might think of me as the weird one. It is a risk. But I promise you that finding genuine, loving Christian community is always going to be worth that risk. And if you're here this morning and you would, you would say that you already have a very tight-knit spiritual circle around you, then that is awesome. You do not need to be a part of one of our groups so long as you just have a group, all right? So let me assure you, we don't think of you as being a bad person if you don't sign up for a group, okay? Probably not going to be earning any mansions in heaven, 
but not a bad person. But if that's you, here's my disclaimer, all right? Because I always got to give at least one disclaimer in a message. Here it is. If that is you, just be sure that you're not fooling yourself. Don't try to convince yourself that you've got a circle that maybe isn't really intact or isn't really what it should be. The Father is blessed. When he sees his kids with and in loving community with one another. And being in a circle of one another is always going to be one of our greatest blessings in life as well. And so I want to I talk just a little bit about what is at stake. Without one another, we will be more vulnerable You know, with our, uh, with our American spirit of independence, we would sometimes like to believe that the more independent we become, the stronger people we are. But that is just a total lie. <laughs> really, you know, the more independent we become from others, the more vulnerable we will be. And I don't think that we need to look any further than nature to really teach us this lesson. One of the things that I, I love doing, I love watching those nature shows where the cameras follow around, follow around the, the pack of animals that are hunting in the wild. It's no zoo you're watching. You're in Africa. And you're able to see them move and act with just these such animal instincts. And then as you watch these incredible animals on screen, you'll hear a man with a British accent begin to narrate the scene. <laughs> the lion has now spotted his prey, right? And then the camera pans out. You see this unsuspecting herd of gazelle. And then you watch as the lion just crouches and, and he inches closer and closer closer. And then the guy begins to narrate something more. And, and he always says something like this. Oh, what's this? Our lion has spotted a gazelle that's fallen behind, now separated from the rest of the group. Ah, oh, the lion licks his lips, <laughs> looking forward to his next meal to devour, right? Isn't that how these shows always go down? You see, in the animal world, being a good hunter is being a smart hunter. And it's always strategically easier to attack the prey that's isolated with little defense that's away from the pack. And so Peter tells us this in 1 Peter 5.8. He says, hey, <laughs> stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And Satan will always have the easiest time preying on those outside of a close spiritual circle. It's why Hebrews chapter 3 talks about 
us creating this good defense from temptation and sin by being with and warning one another. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, the writer says, Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Now, here's the interesting thing about those verses. They seem to assume that without the intervention of one another, that we will just naturally become prone to temptation and vulnerable to drifting away from God. Have you ever noticed that we hardly ever naturally drift in healthy directions? It's why, it's why when we don't pay any attention to how we're eating or how much we're exercising, we hardly ever get to the end of the year and go, wow, I have surprisingly grown very fit and healthy. It just doesn't normally happen. And it's because moving in a healthy direction almost always takes intentionality. It'll be the case in joining a group because it will rarely feel easy or comfortable or risk-free. It's even going to be the case when we're inside that group because it will mean being intentional even in the way that we talk with one another. It's going to mean talking about maybe some difficult things. It's going to mean sharing how we really feel. Because if we don't risk being really honest with one another, well, then there's no way for us to warn or to look out for each other. And so be sure to have a circle that knows the real you. That will always be looking out for your spiritual and emotional best. Without one another, we will also lack spiritual direction. Just to give you a little exercise, if you were to if you were to think back to a time in your life that you really regret, my bet is that it involved some kind of relationship. Their influence pulled you in the wrong direction. Or maybe someone would say that of you. That's just the power of relationships. And just as we probably have plenty of experience being pulled in the wrong direction, well, good, godly friendships with one another have the ability to move us in a positive direction towards God. I've been part of uh, several journey groups here, and I can't tell you how often I have been a part of them, and at some point, many points along the way, been really moved or challenged to grow in my faith as a result of someone else. The story that they shared 
or the insights from Scripture that they gave. Because so often in groups, this amazing thing happens. When people just begin reading and discussing Scripture together, it so often is able to create just sort of this synergy, this one heart, one mindness, where everyone begins moving in God's direction. Many years ago, my son and I would go to this overnight church camping event that was just for men and their boys. So it was meat, fishing poles, BB guns, bow and arrows, all the things that make mom really nervous about raising young boys, all wrapped up into one night of camping. And so when my son first got there, his eyes just lit up for whatever reason at the sight of the bow and arrow even though he had never shot one before. And they had this uh, really cool loop trail with some various 3D targets set up along the way. And so the boys could actually shoot at like, you know, real life deer and elk and these bear. And so a group of us guys, we grabbed the bow and arrows and we set out on the trail. And when my son got his turn to shoot at one of the targets. He began to draw the bow back. Only he was so young that he didn't have the strength to draw it back in just one smooth motion. So when he pulled it back, he did one of these, and then it became a struggle. Have you seen that fight before? And he just begins pointing it in every direction. And the group runs for their life. <laughs> and so, <laughs> me, he's my responsibility, right? I just immediately just kind of, you know, gather my arms around him just simply to get that arrow pointed in the right direction. And that's what some other believers are meant to be in our lives as well. Sometimes we will need... <laughs> to be redirected or reminded of what direction we need to be going. Listen, when the marriage gets really hard, there had better be someone that's encouraging you to love your spouse in the same fashion that Jesus loves you. Or when the diagnosis is bad, Chances are good you are going to need someone to remind you that God will not leave you nor forsake you. When we fall into that sin, we're probably going to need someone to point us back towards God so that we will begin again running towards him rather than away from him. And so be sure that you have a circle of people that you are moving in God's direction with. Number three, without one another, we will become easily discouraged. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, the writer of Hebrews again writes, 
let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now, the writer of Hebrews, for the most part, is writing to these Jewish Christians in Jerusalem who had just been worn down. Life for them had gotten really tough. They were facing a lot of persecution, and as a result, a lot of them were beginning to withdraw from Christian community. Some of them even going back to the old Jewish system just because for them it was familiar. It's, it, it's what felt easier. And sometimes for us too, when life gets difficult, we're tempted to withdraw. Maybe even go back to some old ways. But as Hebrew uh, as the writer reminds us, he says to us, man, that is when we need one another the most. That's when we need to be motivated to press on. We need to be reminded of our purposes of love and good works because that is always going to be where the most meaningful life is found. And when trials arise and tragedies strike, we're going to need the godly counsel of others to help us overcome those feelings that sometimes we'll have just of helplessness. We'll need someone by our side to repeat the words that Jesus said in John 16, 33. This is our rally cry. He says, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Be sure that you have a circle of encouragement around you, spurring you on to love and good works. Without one another, we will also feel anonymous. One of our greatest human needs is actually just to feel that we belong. And belonging doesn't just have to do with being part of a group. Our deepest sense of belonging comes from feeling unconditionally loved and accepted. And so with a lot of groups that we might belong to, maybe it's, maybe it's a sports team or, or some sort of social club, love and acceptance well, it sometimes has its limits, right? You divulge too much about yourself. If you're too honest, you run the risk maybe of being a bit ostracized. Whoa, TMI, too much information. And we should obviously be selective with who we choose to share everything with. But there ought to at least be a few people in your life that get to know the real you and all of you. Who you give access to even the deepest, darkest secrets. And after knowing all that about you, still love and accept you anyways. 
that is true belonging. And I'm not even saying that you can't find that outside of Christian community, but I would say that if you're going to find it anywhere, it should be the most obviously found in Christian community because Jesus calls us to love one another just as he loves us. And that kind of love is an unconditional one. And so be sure that you have a circle of people where you truly feel that you belong. And without one another, we will be prone to selfishness. A coworker asked his friend why he had gotten donuts on his way to work if he was trying to diet. And his friend said, well, when I was going by the corner where the the donut shop was, I told God that if he wanted me to stop and buy donuts, to just miraculously open up one of those front row parking spots, and I would take that as a sign. And so he said, on the eighth time around, there it was. See, when left to ourselves, we will normally find ways to justify getting just what we want. Or we will always find ways to make things serve our purposes. And so being in community with one another is actually God's main strategy in helping us overcome some of those selfish tendencies that we will all have. In Acts chapter 5, after it describes this amazing community that that had developed, it then tells the story of a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. They had some property that they had sold. And they then took just a portion of the money, took it to the group of believers, and said, here you go. This is all the money that we received, and we now selflessly give it to all of you to be shared and used. But it says that Peter somehow was clued in to their deception. And so he said, how can you lie to us? How can you lie to God by saying that this is all the money when you've kept some of it For yourself. And he says, listen, this was your money to do whatever it is that you wanted to do with. Why would you lie about it? And after Peter called them out and exposed their lie, it says that God caused both of them to just instantly drop over and die. Now, by the way, if you got real young kids that you ever catch lying to you, this is a fun story to share. (laughs) You see what can happen when you lie to mommy and daddy? Maybe not. But you know what? It doesn't even seem like a big lie, does it? I mean, sure, they kept some of the money for themselves, but it still is what appeared to be a real generous thing. 
But the real offense wasn't in how much or how little they chose to give. The issue was just simply their attitude that they had developed towards the group. Whereas they may have originally joined the group in order to be a blessing to the spiritual family. Bless the father, bless his kids. Well, it would seem that at some point their attitude shifted towards using the group for selfish purposes. Whether that was just to sort of bolster their ego or something else, we're not really sure. But they were no longer concerned with loving one another. And one of the benefits of being part of a, of a spiritual group is that it can begin to train us to become more contributors than we are consumers. To shift our focus from me to more of a we. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, believers are told this, share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Sharing burdens is a we thing. It's a mindset. Because your struggles, your concerns are no longer just your problem, but we begin to share those with you. And after a while, well, our concern for others may even be able to rise above our focus on self. And so be sure, people with whom you're sharing burdens... May our community slogan also become, love the Father, love one another, or it's a package deal. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. I want to pray for us. We're going to go into a time of communion, and you can respond however you may feel fit. Some of you may have seen the, uh, the massive redwood trees down in northern California. They are quite a sight to see. They can grow up to 300 feet high. And one might think that in order to, to grow something so huge and big and tall, well, that there would have to be just this incredible root system that would dive down hundreds of feet into the earth just to hold something up that big in high winds. But the roots of the wet redwood trees actually do just the opposite. Rather than dive down deep, they're actually some of the shallowest roots you will find. And it's so that each of the tree's roots are able to find one another. See, if you were to get down on your hands and knees, and examine the ground, you will see these roots intertwine with one another, one another. They actually will fuse and begin growing together. That's why you don't find redwoods off growing by themselves. They need one another for nourishment, for support. And the redwoods are a beautiful picture 
of what our Christian lives are meant to be when we do life with one another. When we're in a group or a circle together, we can protect one another from sin. We can motivate one another to move in God's direction, encourage one another, belong to one another, share in one another's burdens. Love the Father, love one another. It's a package deal. And in order to love one another the way that we ought to, well, God says, be reminded often of the way in which I have loved you. And we do that through communion. If you're unfamiliar with communion, it's just simply a piece of bread and some juice, which is just symbolic. And it reminds us of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, that he gave up his body, that he shed his blood to restore relationship with him because our sin has broken that. And he would give all of himself for our sake. And so through communion, we're reminded of what great lengths God will go to show us love. I want to pray for us. The band is going to play as you uh, go and grab communion. You can do that on your own this morning. Afterwards, we get to celebrate as a family um, some baptisms, and then we'll send you out with a blessing, all right? Lord, thank you, God, just for one another. And I pray that you would be with us and you encourage us, God, just to simply move in your direction. Sometimes we'll refer to that as next steps and uh, Lord, maybe for some, the next step would just simply be to begin creating a circle. Maybe it's to get signed up for a group. I pray during this time of communion, God, that as we would be reminded of your love, that we would be inspired to show that kind of love to one another. Love the Father love one another. God, may it be a package deal. In your name, amen.